Hello and welcome to Talking Capital. I'm Ian Barnard, CEO of Capital Generation Partners, and I'm here with our Chief Investment Officer, Robert Sears, to answer three questions posed by our clients in recent weeks. For those who don't know us already, CapGen is a private investment office for families with capital. We are go-anywhere investors, so in the course of these episodes, you can expect us to cover any question across any asset class in any region of the world, from bricks and mortar to portfolio derivatives. In summary, this is a podcast where we answer the questions playing on the minds of sophisticated long-term investors. Do subscribe if that sounds up your street, and you'll enjoy two episodes a month of Talking Capital. Welcome to our last episode of 2023. If you feel that watching markets, macro dynamics and geopolitical events has given you whiplash this year, then you've come to the right place because Robert's going to do what he does best and synthesize this complex miasma of information to something that's digestible. So we're going to wrap up the year, talk about what happened, what worked and what didn't, uh, and then... Uh, lest we be accused of spending too much time looking backwards. We're going to look forward to 2024 and what that might hold. So that's a lot of ground to cover. So to get going, Robert, the standing in December looking back, could you give us a brief overview of uh, the big trends of 23? Yes, I think um, looking back over 2023, I think a lot of people are now feeling pretty positive at the end of the year. Um, given the S&P sort of rallying um, in, in giving a Santa Claus rally, rallying up at, uh, to the end of the year. And, and when you look at the headline numbers for the S&P or the NASDAQ, it seems like a very positive year. So I think that's that's been one of the um, feelings that people have. But again, I think that that isn't really evidence of what has actually been going on. So I think at the moment, there's a bit of optimism. That's certainly one one case. The, the view of soft landing has become the narrative. So the idea that the Federal Reserve has um, engineered this miraculous um, softening of the economy, but not enough that we head into recession. Um, and also, I think the other big picture trend of the year really has been the big moves in interest rates. So we've seen this rapid rise in rates uh, um, from monetary policy tightening and then into the bond market as well. But the last couple of months has been this sort of about turn. Suddenly, uh, rates on the 10-year having um, having climbed at a sort of uh, very fast rate up to about 5%, as we speak now, have has gone back below 4%. Um, so, and that's in the matter of basically a month and a half or two months. Um, we've seen that, that big decline. So Big moves in interest rates has been another theme of the year. So I think those have, those have been the market themes. And I think on the economic themes of the year, the other point would be to say at the start of the year, everyone was expecting recession. And really, the, the big theme of the year has been the resilience of the US consumer. So US consumption has certainly held up US GDP um, more than, than um, was perhaps anticipated. But I think those are the headline things people are talking about and thinking about. But I think where I would just like to just sort of mention is, I don't think that tells the whole picture. So I think if I was to say, what's the summary of the year, it's not that equities have done well. Um, it's actually been a story of the, the, the Magnificent Seven that we talked about on the last podcast. That return of equities has really been driven by those handful of large cap stocks in, in the US, and particularly their performance in the first six months of the year. Um, so a, a large proportion of the return, the headline return, 
has been on the, those names. And why were they rallying in the start of the year? Again, somewhat unexpectedly, um, really, it was this. It was linked to the enthusiasm about AI, which uh, with the launch of ChatGPT towards the end of last year, and also the fact those stocks were completely beaten up uh, at the end of the year. We, again, we discussed those those reasons last month. But so I think rather than saying it's been a really good year for equities, it's been a good year for a handful of stocks. The average stocks performance has been pretty flat over the year, and that's been again more consistent with the real economy. So rather than saying the economy has been really strong. The U.S. surprised a bit more than was expected, but even within the U.S., there's been soft softness um, in uh, the manufacturing sector, and there's been slow slow growth around the rest of the world. Europe's been teetering around zero percent growth. China's had quite a dramatic slowdown in the course of the year surrounding the housing market. Chinese stocks are off a long way. Um, so, with that actual experience of earnings slowing, the average stock not doing very well, which is also translated to private markets. Sort of, it's been an average year. I think that tells a truer picture of of what's going on. And again, when we say about the S and P, even those top seven stocks, when you look back, basically two calendar years, we're flat. So the performance is has been around negative. Now it's probably slightly positive on the S and P, but flat over two years. That's more the story of what's going on. So I think I I would pull that out. Is really there has been this slowing of growth. The US did surprise a bit to the positive side, but really the, the, the story of the stock market this year has been a story of a handful of stocks, not really the story of broad strength. There's been severe weakness in China. Chinese stocks are all in a big bear market territory. And we've seen this big whipsaw of interest rates, which I think is the key driver and which will lead to, to further problems in the future. So we've gone from rates tightening really fast and going up now to suddenly this expectation that policy is going to be cut um, further than it can be next year. Is it fair to say, Robert, that if you take 2022 and 2023 together, the performance of the economy was pretty steady across those two years, albeit with the inevitable mild variations either side of the trend, uh, but that asset prices have oscillated around that steadier growth much more dramatically? So, you know, in, in simplistic terms, you know, 2022 was a very tough year for lots and lots of asset prices in 2023 was a more benign year. So you've seen a sort of down and then an up, but actually the economy has you know, chugged, in the US anyway, chugged along reasonably well. So I'm not not sure I would characterise it exactly like that. I think that's closer to the truth in that there's been a lot more variability in asset prices than the economy, but the economy has been slowing. Um, so there's definitely been a slowdown in growth in the rest of the world. Um, and even in the US, there's been slowdowns within manufacturing. We've we've seen PMI numbers on manufacturing in recessionary territory. We've seen a number of indicators pointing towards oncoming recession. I think what we have to remember more has been this is a late cycle economy and we're slowing. We've seen a big reaction in asset prices and then a big response. And it, that that's the, the market becoming a bit uh, frenetic and sort of overreacting. But also, it's been the data has been so difficult to pass, and that's been because we've had all these these bullwhip effects from um, from COVID. So we've had all the big stimulus coming in, big stimulus coming out, and they're still rippling on as we speak today. And that's why we're seeing the the, the slowdown manufacturing, but not services at the same time. Um, so I think that's been more um, the the cause of the volatility. But I would say even now, um, which maybe we'll come come to a bit later, is. The, the forecast when we're looking for the future is for slowdown. So it's, it's undoubtedly, uh, 
asset prices being near record highs are pricing good news into perfection. Um, and yet the reality is the economies are slowing um, and we are in for a slowdown, whether it avoids a recession or not in the US. And we, we're sort of teetering around um, 0% growth is more about the timing of these factors. But I think that's that, that's also the, the, the point. So the economy is not just chugging along. There have been these weird bursts of growth. We'll, we'll see where it, it ends out in the, in the future. But really, growth is slowing, and it's not really reflecting asset prices as we speak at the moment. So there's always interplay between the manufacturing and the services sector in the, in the economy. But that was yanked out of any synchronicity by COVID where you had manufacturing and goods doing really, really well, while services clearly did really badly because you know people couldn't go out and go to restaurants and go to hotels and all the other things that, uh, that drive that part of the economy. COVID winds down, becomes less malign and lockdowns come off and we see services consumption come back and we see a little bit of a sort of disappearing off of manufacturing. Do, do you think that those two key, uh, distinct, those two areas are moving back into their more usual pattern or are we still dealing with the fact they've been sort of yanked slightly out of shape vis-a-vis one another? I think I think we're still dealing with these, these impacts. And indeed, it's the interesting thing for next year is you could be quite bearish thinking about services slowing, um, slowing in the labour market, which I think is the key variable. But actually, if anything, the manufacturing cycle might be a bit positive. And this is why between regions, it may, between the U, U, Europe and uh, the US, it might be a bit more difficult to understand what's going on, is we could well see a little tick up in, in manufacturing. I'm going to pause that, Robert, because I think we might be jumping on to uh, what lies ahead in, in 2024. But I, I, um, and, and I led us there. Let's move on to, to, to sort of part two. So you've, you've summarised what happened in 2023 and how that connected to what preceded that in 2022. And obviously that's from the vantage point of us being here in December 2023. I think what will be helpful now is to sort of cast our minds back to how uh, the world looked a year ago in December last year or possibly one January this year and look at how 2023 played out compared to both our expectations and the expectations of markets. Now, we often talk about consensus, but you and I, you know, have often reminded ourselves that consensus is the sort of midpoint in a wide range of outcomes. So it was clearly not the case that in December last year, there was a single view held by all market participants. Um, But maybe I can start off by focusing on us, Capgen. Can you talk about how 2023 played out compared perhaps to how we thought it was going to play out in uh, at the end of 2022? Yeah. So I think what I would draw reference to, one way we try and look at the consensus and try and understand the range of market views is each year um, at, at Capgen, we hold a, um, our annual secular forum and year ahead outlook. And there, we're taking a step back alongside our day-to-day work on looking at valuations and understanding the qualitative aspects of markets. We hear from a range of external speakers, um, and we can really stress test our views and where the views of the market are. And I think what was interesting about last year compared to this year is, at the end of last year, recession, calling for a year of recession, was even in the range of views, it was not only it was the most likely view, it was almost unanimous. I mean, it was uh, uh, most participants were talking about that, us included, 
um, for the year about an elevated um, risk of recession. Now, I suppose at the headline level, you say, well, the US hasn't been in recession so far, we don't think, to, to this point. So that's that's where consensus was most difference. And and I think the biggest difference on that growth, as I said, was US consumption surprised to the upside. Um, and that was really the key driving force. Now, we can look at reasons why in that there was uh, a big pool of excess savings. But I think more broadly, we can draw the analogy as well is, it's all about timing. And this is why we're saying actually about it's sort of recession delayed, um, but not avoided. In a way, that recession call has gone from everybody saying, we think there's recession at the start of the year to now, actually, the, the consensus, there's a bigger range of, of views out there from participants when we had our um, outlook and looking at the outlook ahead now. So that's the interesting difference between the two. But clearly, views have moved more towards a soft landing. So it's not as unanimous as it was last year. But the majority of people are talking about soft landing um, at this point in time. But if anything, recession probabilities were elevated last year, let's say around 40% probability of recession in the next 12 months. That doesn't mean a recession is going to happen in the next 12 months. It could happen a bit later, could happen a bit sooner. The probability in the US is probably about the same now, elevated around 40%. So yes, a recession is is likely. It's a, a high probability outcome. Um, but I think people are throwing in the towel too early. And the, the example would be, it's a similar way to the views of, of um, about inflation coming out of the, the COVID bubble. So when inflation first sort of took off, everybody talked about inflation is transitory. That was the common view. So it's all about COVID. It will just go away. We don't need to worry about it. And that's why monetary policy didn't react um, to raise rates as soon as they could have done. But inflation kept going up and up and up. And then everybody threw in the towel and said, transitory was stupid. Actually, this is a real problem. Let's raise rates. And arguably, rates have gone up probably too much um, at the moment than they could have done. But the view becomes inflation is not transitory. We need to do some action. But as we've seen last year, actually, this disinflationary impulse has happened, inflation's starting to fall. And maybe we were right originally that quite a bit of the inflation was transitory, but the views moved. And in the same way with recession, I think that's what we're we're seeing playing out. The view is recession's definitely going to happen. People are throwing in the town now. And actually, it probably will happen, but just a bit later. And I think that's the key part is the, these moves, because of the distortions as well, are just happening at a different pace than than, than maybe people are expecting. And indeed, on the equity markets, a similar vein. I think we were expecting more of a, a negative environment for equities in the, the year, the risk of that to come. And now, if we took out the top seven, actually, equities are performing more like we would have expected. But that, again, was a, the bit of the unknown that occurred, the bit of the bounce in the first six months of the year around AI. So I think those, those were a couple of the, the points to be said. Having said that, I think on, on inflation, definitely that did play out, the disinflationary impulse, even though the medium-term risks of inflation remain. But I think that's the key point. That was what our view very much was at the end of last year. Inflation is going to fall this year in the short term, but actually the medium term of risk is inflation is there. And I think the other key part was this big interplay between interest rates, monetary policy, um, and the market. And the problem is, the, uh, as we said, it's very hard to drive this path, which I still believe is the case if, to soft landing, because the more the market um, believes the economy is strong, rates were going up. And sure enough, that did cause a reaction in the third quarter, market started to fall. But now it's gone the other way. The market is already pricing in a 1% cut of rates in the US next year, and it's already eased conditions too much, which 
in the reflexive way, makes it harder for monetary policy makers to actually cut it rates that much next year. So I think that dance that we said would happen this year has happened. And I think it's likely to continue next year in that the market is going to try and front run what the Fed is doing. But that in itself is changing uh, um, the options of the Fed and, and makes it very difficult um, to sort of still engineer a, a soft landing without some difficulty ahead. Yes, I think comparing where we are at the end of 2023 to where we thought we might be when we were looking ahead to the year ahead in December 2022, as you say, slightly ignores the journey that's happened in the intervening period. So I take, and you mentioned it, what's happened to interest rates in the US, particularly on the on the 10-year, that have had quite a journey actually over the course of the year from uh, getting to quite high levels. And then here we are at the end of the year and they are you know, coming down relatively dramatically. And, and I suppose, therefore, that when we talk about the uh, how the year played out to how we thought it was going to play out at the start of the year, at different points in the year, different things were uh, dominant, weren't they? The presence of inflation, the worry about inflation, whether it's transitory or, or whether it's not. And I think the point you're making there is there's been this, this interplay between take, for example, interest rates, the level the Fed has uh, keeping them at and the messaging the Fed is given the market's response to what the market's view of what that therefore means to the economy and then what it does to the prices that it controls. And you've got that intersection going, which you call uh, the dance. Yes, I think that, and that reflexive dance, because the market does something and then like a dance partner, then the Fed resp- has to respond in a, in a different way. And what I would say, though, is actually our views, when we, we talked about it last year and our probabilities, when we looked two years ahead and we looked at the range of outcomes, they've not moved that much. Actually, I think, um, you know, the probability recession over two years stays pretty much consistent with where it was. So I don't think conditions have moved that much from from what we were expecting. I think timing is always difficult. And I think that's the, the, the point to come. But the, the, the probability of recession remains elevated, as we said. And I think that's the point. The key part about the labor market in the US is because it was so strong, the first bit of weakening, uh, which we're seeing, the, the weak, weakening of the labor market is felt from wages and from um, the excess of, of demand for, for jobs. As that erodes, and it doesn't happen in a straight line, I think the technical people uh, talk about kinked uh, Phillips curve, but the point really is, the first bit is you see that weakness in wages and um, fewer job openings, but actually there comes a point when you get close to supply-demand imbalance, and then as the economy weakens, suddenly it means unemployment rates start to go up, and that's when you start to see real pressure. And we still not reach that point. So again, it's the, the, the crucial test to say whether the views were right or wrong, is actually still to come. And it's it's sort of playing out just at a slightly different pace, maybe, than than um, some people anticipated. Well, let's, let, let's pursue that, because I've sensed throughout this conversation so far, while it's always intriguing to look backwards and reflect and to ask, what if? Much more interesting and, uh, and much more important and much more relevant is, okay, so what do we think is going to happen in the year ahead? So you've touched on it a bit, but let's just spend a bit of time on this, uh, Robert. Is there going to be a recession next year in the US, in the US particularly? Yeah, so so this could be the the, the, the crucial point. And I think I'll, I'll give the boring answer, which is, again, about range of outcomes. I think it's likely. It's probably our base case. 
But when we weight our probabilities of, of looking uh, in a way of saying, what does history tell you of how frequently recessions occur? And what do we think current conditions change? And we have to w- humbly weight our views according to the two. You come out with sort of a, a probability around 40% chance of a recession. So yes, I think it's likely, but 40% doesn't mean it's definitely going to happen this year. And it's hard to tell because it is a confluence of factors. US growth is definitely slowing. And I think three key factors just to to add weight to that. The fiscal stimulus that we've seen in the last couple of years, this big burst of spending from, from Biden's policies, we're not seeing that same impulse. There won't be the same spending next year. So we know that's going to act as a, that when the impulse turns negative, i.e. the rate of change turns negative, you don't have as much stimulus coming in, growth will have a headwind. Monetary policy, it does act with a lag. So the fact rates are up significantly higher now than they were 12 months, 18 months ago, means we're going to have some headwind and that's felt with a lag in the economy. So monetary tightening is still going to um, cause a slowing in growth. And I think on the US consumer, that point about the labor market, as we get to the crucial point where unemployment starts to tick up and there is evidence that softening is happening, that again will be less consumption this year, another headwind. So we know US growth is going to slow. The hard part is, does it all happen in one go? So all those impulses happen at the same time and you have the one or two negative quarters of growth, which isn't actually how growth is defined in, uh, sorry, recessions are defined in the US. Do we have it all happening in one go? Or do we have a protracted period of more 0% growth? So I think that's the, the almost the irrelevant question in some ways, because does it matter if growth is zero or you have it all negative for a couple of quarters? The key point is growth is slowing. What does slowing growth mean to equity prices? That slowing that we're suggesting is happening is not fully priced into equities. In fact, it's the other way around. So the markets are pricing all the good news, everything good happening. So in that range of probabilities, the small probability of a really benign outcome is being priced in as as virtually it's likely to happen. And I think that makes it interesting for an investor when we're protecting portfolios is actually you don't have to get all your views right, but what you have to do is protect against the range of outcomes. And at the moment, those market prices may happen, may not be good news, but you can't take that risk and, and put all, all your eggs in that basket. Actually, you need to take uh, measures to be protect against that real risk of recession in the next 12 months. And similarly, in the bond market, uh, when we're looking at what's priced in, the bond market's already front-running the Fed of, of uh, uh, a large number of cuts next year, which are unlikely to be delivered. So again, that difference between what the market's pricing in and what's likely to happen is where we really see the opportunity. But on a big picture, I think to think about slowing growth next year and thinking about potential recession in the US, that should be the mindset of investors going into the year. So talk a little bit about opportunity and making money. So big picture, recession is a likely but not certain outcome for 2024. And you make the point, Robert, that recession itself contains a wide range of outcomes because recession is partly a technical definition and partly how it feels and how people respond to it. So is it better to have one or two quarters of down growth or several quarters of zero growth, which feels better, which feels worse? And what is more harmful to positive market sentiment. So acknowledging all of those things, what's the right response to that in terms of making money? Is the answer just to sort of hide away and to 
sort of wait for this recession to be there and for markets to adjust? Or, And this is where I'm going with this, and we talked a bit about this before. Are there still opportunities and places where you can make money? So if I'm a, if I'm a, a, a client of CapGen, are you saying there's no chance of making money anywhere, just wait, 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 or are there places where you know we think there are still very good opportunities to make money? Yeah, so I think the, the short answer is if that idea of hiding cash, why not the, the yields there, it seems very appealing to people. And I think as we've talked about on another podcast, that's quite dangerous to your long-term health in terms of uh, your, your wealth rather than health, or it could affect your mental health in, in the long run because it's so pressurized to make those couple of binary decisions. So difficult to get it right. And in the long run, being invested in cash is not going to deliver you good, positive, real returns. So I think that that is the danger and why it's very risky to take that view. And when we're talking about it, that positive events can, can occur. So the scenario, even if there's bad news, what if the Fed does dramatically cut too much in the short run uh, and just say, we're going to support the market? Well, next year could be a really positive year for markets. And so if you're in cash, you'd really miss out. Now, that's not the course of action you'd want the Fed to take because you might have a sugar rush in the next year or so, but then it makes the chance of a really nasty recession and high inflation a few years out much higher. So it's creating problems, but actually for an investor, you'd be in cash, you'd suddenly be scared, you put your money all back into equities, and then you'll be lose a lot of money at the time equities fall. So I think that that's why I would be, I would very caution against sort of making those binary bets. But I think we're trying to uh, suggest, and I think what you should do is with a balanced portfolio, taking the right approach to managing risk, you can protect against the downside using different tools to ensure if recession occurs, actually, you don't suffer a large drawdown in capital. And you've got the cash ready to deploy when markets are really cheap. But at the same time, even today, as we speak, there are big market opportunities and ways to make money. So I'd, I'd just uh, so, so it's not a question of hiding away. Actually, even on a broad level, equities, yes, they're slightly expensive if you look at the MSCI world, but they're in the range of reasonableness. They're, they're sort of pointing in the most scenarios to av- slightly below long-term average real returns. So more like 3 to 4% real returns for equities in the next 10 years. So it's not, not a terrible situation. And then below the surface, in different areas, some parts of the market are very cheap. So if we take emerging markets, if we look at parts of Europe, if we look at Japan, their equities are already on the cheap side. Um, so now it's not necessarily in terms of timing, you want to have everything in there. But if you're taking a 10-year view, again, or five-year view, there are already opportunities there. When we looked at value against growth, those spreads, as we've mentioned, are at near historic wide levels. It's a big market opportunity, a way to make much higher returns over the, the, the following five years in a relatively low-risk way. So that looks really appealing as well. So there, there are all these big opportunities. So within your portfolio, if you protect the right way, you can protect an overall level while putting in place um, investments that over the next five to 10 years will give you significantly strong returns. And I think that's, that's the right approach to take. And I'd say even what we're trying to do as well is find pockets where that distress has already occurred. So again, we're saying about distress is not occurring all in what places at the same time. If we take two this year, we we deployed capital towards a distressed um, debt manager because already we're seeing some pressure within real estate and, and in the corporate sector in the coming years ahead. And secondly, on um, insurance-linked securities. Again, it's a rather esoteric, obscure area, but there, that's an area where 
the market was under a bit of distress. There wasn't enough capital being deployed to, to backstop uh, reinsurers. So the rates had gone to historically wide levels. And there we've seen of a quite a low risk way, actually, in the last six months to deliver a 10% return or about 10% return in excess of even the S&P with a lot lower risk. So I think that's what we would advocate doing. Build a sensible portfolio that can protect you against recession. So you don't need to worry about that. Um, but be poised and ready to take advantage of the big opportunities as they come. But even as we speak today, be putting your capital, deploy your capital into areas where long-term returns are already very appealing. Well, Robert, thank you for that. I think that beautifully captures how we think about investment, how we think about being custodians of client money, which is our obligation. And actually, our desire is always to look for opportunities to make money, to look for assets that are mispriced and cheap, opportunities to provide capital to markets where you're well rewarded. But what we want to do that do that is within the context of what's happening more broadly in the economy and in markets. So we're looking for great ways of making money and then we meld it all together and make sure we've got the right protection, the right armor in place to make sure that we can pursue those safely. So Robert, thank you very much. That's all for from us for 2023 and we very much look forward to uh, hosting you in the new year and wish you a very happy and restful seasonal break thank you you can subscribe to talking capital on all major platforms capital generation partners llp is authorized and regulated by the financial conduct authority and is registered as an investment advisor by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. This podcast and opinions expressed do not constitute investment advice and do not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or any other investment or product. Nothing said during this podcast should be construed as an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity. All information and opinions expressed herein are current as of publication and are subject to change without notice. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or recommendation from Capital Generation Partners to the listener. Capital Generation Partners makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or of any of the information contained in this podcast. And any liability, therefore, including in respect to direct or indirect loss, is expressly disclaimed. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. This podcast may not be copied reproduce, further distributed to any other person or published in whole or in part for any purpose. Further information, including our privacy statement, can be found on our website at www.capitalgenerationpartners.com.